of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and uh, great to be back this week discussing and continuing a discussion a discussion of the five solas. And uh, uh, just to reiterate what those five solas or the alones are: sola, the Latin word for alone. Um, it is sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, and soli deo gloria. And that is um, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, the glory of God alone. So the gospel progression is that we are saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And so last week I covered sola gratia, and this week is sola fide, so that is faith, faith alone. So uh, let's dive into this. So in the process of salvation that Paul refers to in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, faith is the second part. So I, I discussed grace last week, grace alone. Well, faith is the second part. Believers are saved by grace alone through faith alone. So the second of the five solas here that I'm going to be discussing is sola fide, faith alone. So scripture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is replete with references to faith, but sola fide is perhaps the most ambiguous, I think, of the five solas. So here's how you can think of it. If grace is the destination, in other words, it is by God's grace that we are saved, then faith is the road and Christ is the vehicle that gets Christians to the point of grace. Now, hang tight, because next week I will be discussing solus Christus, Christ alone. I will get to that part. Uh, We've gone grace alone. We're going to cover faith alone today. So many of the ideas and the concepts of the five solas are discussed clearly in Paul's letters. Uh, When he speaks of faith... Uh, He says, for example, in Galatians 3.11, Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And so similar to grace alone, faith alone excludes human ability because righteousness is only accomplished by faith. Martin Luther writes this, this one and firm rock, which we call the doctrine of justification, is the chi- is the chief article of the whole Christian doctrine, which comprehends the understanding of all godliness, end quote. So without faith, righteousness is not possible. And without righteousness, people cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, because without faith, we will not receive grace. So... What's unclear to many believers is the concise definition of faith. (laughs) I encourage you, try to Google it. You will find many definitions. So scripture really espouses a plurality of concepts about faith because there are many, there are multiple terms for what we know as faith in the English language. There's primarily two that I'm going to cover today. And so the the New Testament Greek words for faith, one is the root and one is the derivative. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, for example, in Matthew 16, 8, 
he uses the word um, oligopistoi, which is, it, it refers to them as those with little faith. In Matthew 16, 8, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you have little faith. And then in Hebrews, the, uh, the author of Hebrews discusses the word pistis, which is the, the, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You can read that in Hebrews 11.1. 1. And so this word in Hebrews 11 is the root of the aforementioned word in Matthew 16.8 that I discussed. And both terms are used throughout scripture. One is the root, one is the derivative. And so the faith to which the author of Hebrews refers to in chapter 11 is the same faith Paul discusses when he says, for by grace you, uh, for, for, by, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That's in Romans 12, 3. So the assumption from these two uses of the word faith could be that two different different types of faith exist in the Bible, which that would certainly clarify the discrepancies between the English explanations and the de- uh, definitions of faith that we have or that many people try to make. And so I'm going to try to clarify a little bit of that today. So one faith uh, represents a faith of human responsibility and the other one a faith of God's gift. Um, the, the, the one referenced in Hebrews 11 and Romans 12, three is the faith of God's gift. And the one referenced in Matthew 16, eight, among other places in the new Testament is the faith of human responsibility. So the, the reformers understood not only the vitality of sola fide, but the sovereign work of God in its application. Nathan Bingham writes this about Romans 1, 17. The lights came on for Luther. He began to understand that what Paul was speaking of here was a righteousness that God in his grace was making available to those who would receive it passively, not those who would achieve it actively, but that would receive it by faith and by which a person could be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. So the the reformers, particularly Luther, understood God's supreme authority even in the act of faith. And so to understand and live in the reality of the gospel uh, doctrine of sola fide, Christians need to understand the twofold division of faith, the faith of human responsibility and the faith of God's gift, both of which are compatible. Um, I am... Uh, it, just just a uh, a note here. Many of you will not be surprised. I am a five point Calvinist, um, and so certainly I see things through that grid. But I will be the first to tell you that there is compatibility with God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Now, when when I start having discussions with people, I have a problem when they start using terms that are not biblical, such as free will. I will use the the term choice. And people say that's the same thing. That is not the same thing because our natural choice as humans is sin. It will always be sin. Certainly we will make a choice, but our choice will always, forever, eternally be sin but Christ. (laughs) When we are in Christ, when we have Christ, when we are found in him, only then are our eyes open to where we can make a righteous choice. And, and, And he calls us to do that. Uh, but there is a compatibility with 
humans being held responsible for their decisions, yet God's complete and total sovereignty. Now, when people talk about predestination, and I'm chasing a little bit of a rabbit here, but when people talk about predestination and foreknowledge, and they try to say, uh, by the way, I, ha- I do have a podcast you can look back. I have an episode about this and what foreknowledge is. It's not what a lot of people try to make it. When people try to say that foreknowledge is God seeing who would choose him and therefore writing their name in the so-called Lamb's Book of Life, that that is foreknowledge. That is not foreknowledge. That is telling the future. <laughs> and so God is completely and totally sovereign. That is vastly different. And so uh, I get into that just to say that human responsibility, human, com- uh, human responsibility and God's sovereignty are totally compatible. So let's uh, dive into this, the, the two types of faith here. So the first is the faith of human responsibility. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus refers to the, Phar- uh, the Pharisees as those with little faith, Matthew 16, 8. And so, again, the Greek word that he uses here is oligopistoi, which is used five other times in the New Testament. And each time, Jesus speaks it in rebuke. It's never a positive thing. And so the subject of this type of faith is the person to whom Jesus speaks. They are the subject. When you talk about object and subject, um, the object is usually the person, for example, in, in worship, God is the object of worship, the person to whom is being given something. The subject is the one who does the work. And I would say that in worship, God is both object and subject, for he is the one working. But the subject here that Jesus is speaking is the person. He says, you of little faith. In other words, the, they are the ones responsible for the faith, uh, the, the, the type of faith that he's, he's referring to here. So the faith to which Jesus refers is a faith which places the responsibility on the person. And it's a faith that may vary in degree from, from person to person. That can be assumed or otherwise he would not have said you have little faith. The uh, assumption could be that there could be people of great faith. So he also uses this word in the Sermon on the Mount. When he discusses anxiety and he instructs people not to worry, he refers to them in Matthew 6.30 as people of little faith, the same usage there. So he offers a connection. Um, the, the doubting of God's provision in both passages. In other words, you doubt my provision. Now, now in Matthew 16 Jesus had just fed thousands of people and the Pharisees were demanding signs. Get that, and you read that and you realize how ridiculous that is. He had just fed thousands of people and they come to him afterwards demanding signs. What more do they need? And so he says, rightfully so, you of little faith. So his response is to remind them of their responsibility to faith. So the type of faith that he refers to here in Matthew's gospel includes two possessions. It's a faith that possesses quantity, and it's a faith that possesses quality. Oligopistoi is is not beneficial to the believer without realized responsibility and employment of that faith. So it is a a faith that possesses quantity. The inference of Jesus' words is that people um, hold a responsibility in their faith. In other words, this is an active faith rather than a passive one. We will get into that, what, what I 
mentioned what Luther said earlier. We'll get into that. But this is an act of faith, not a passive one. So Jesus' words here sharply point to the heart of the hearer as both an exhortation and an admonition. In the context, Jesus' hearers doubt his miraculous working ability and they demand signs. He just fed thousands of people. Give us signs. (laughs) Ridiculous when you think about it, but that's what happened. So Jesus suggests that the source of their doubting is their lack of faith. Okay, they had doubted what he could do. They're asking for signs, and he says, you have little faith. But this lack of faith is not his fault and not his responsibility. It is their own. And so understanding that that those of little faith doubt God's provision is to simultaneously understand the converse. Those of great faith trust God's provision. So we need to further understand that although believers of little faith exist, this type of faith is one that should be cultivated and grown. If the Pharisees here had little faith, and we can assume that it's possible to have a big faith or a great faith, we are responsible for cultivating and growing that faith. So if the, if the responsibility is, is placed on the person then he or she needs to employ spiritual disciplines which mature and nurture their faith. And so a lack of this type of faith is not the fault of God, but the one who is lacking the faith. And so to understand faith alone, so la fide, is to understand both God's responsibility, that's going to be covered next, and human responsibility, both of which, again, are compatible. So the type of faith to which Jesus refers here in Matthew is a faith that possesses quantity and the source of subsequent belief or doubt. And so those that Jesus speaks to in this account were of little faith and much doubt because of their little faith. So this type of faith that Jesus uses here is also a faith that possesses not only quantity but quality. James says that the prayer of a righteous one avails much. James 5, 16. Jesus criticizes the Pharisees in Matthew 16 because of their lack of faith and because of their faith is not big enough or grand enough to believe in God's provision. So we, we need to distinguish between valuable faith and cheap faith. Valuable faith is such that believes and trusts God even in the most difficult of circumstances, okay? Uh, you wouldn't need the sign of feeding f- thousands of people with that type of faith. Cheap faith demands signs and will not move beyond simple belief. How often do we say, God, I will do such and such if you will just do this. I will do X if you will do Y. <laughs> That's a cheap faith. So the latter is a faith of faulty quality. And the first is a faith of inordinate quality. And so it's not enough to possess faith because James uh, or Jesus implies that those that he's speaking to have faith. They certainly have faith. He would not have said you have little faith if they didn't have any faith at all. But their faith is of less than ideal quality. And so after seeing the miracles of Jesus, the Pharisees still demanded signs. So the responsibility surmised in this type of faith is is placed on the person. They have responsibility. So to profess faith alone is to profess that to some degree, Christians are given the responsibility to discipline themselves spiritually and to cultivate the faith that they possess. And this faith 
is not a faith in themselves, but only in Christ. And keep in mind, this is not a salvific faith right here, but it requires work to increase and prove effective. I'll get into the, the salvific part of it. So while Jesus mentions in Matthew's gospel this type of faith, um, it's one that possesses quantity. It also possesses quality. And without both, this type of faith really is futile and ineffective. And so it's it's a faith of human responsibility. And to believe in faith alone is to believe that one's responsibility is compatible with God's sovereignty and that all are held to account for what they do with the Son of God. Small faith employs doubt. Big faith employs trust. And for Christians, it's ironic that we would claim to trust God for eternal life, but we would have difficulty trusting him with our daily provision. I mean, think of how ironic that is. We don't trust him to provide for us, for our bills or our job or whatever it may be, but we can trust him with our eternal life, which is so much bigger. But this seems common among lots of Christians. And so Jesus criticizes the Pharisees' lack of faith in a way that should remind all believers that because God alone provides and because God alone holds total control, it's foolish not to have faith in him. So faith alone understands God alone. In other words, God alone is the source of joy and provision. And it is humans' responsibility to cultivate that faith. So let's get into the second type of faith here. So I just discussed oligopostoi. This, uh, this is the derivative. Now, the root word is pistis, and it is um, another type of faith mentioned in Scripture. Um, and so the difference here is its exclusion of the, the root. Um, so, so oligos, in the first one that I covered in oligopostoi, oligos means small in number. And pistis is the root of oligopostoi. And it centers uh, solely around faith without the link to human responsibility. So the, uh, the oligos part, small in number, is the human responsibility part. And so it, in sort of a uh, monergistic way, it's a passive form of faith rather than the one that I just covered, which is active. So this is the salvific type of faith. This type of faith is granted by God as a gift without human collaboration. God, Paul uses this term in Ephesians 2.8 when he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is the, the word that he used, and it does not hold the link to human responsibility. Perhaps to reveal the sequence of events in a Christian's life. In other words, one is saved by grace through faith passively, as God regenerates the heart and then given the responsibility to cultivate the faith in God as he or she works out their own salvation. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So no one possesses faith in God without first being brought to life by him. And so upon this regeneration by the Holy Spirit, Christians are granted faith in God as a free gift. Now, the author of Hebrews defines this type of faith in two ways, assurance and conviction, Hebrews 11.1. 1. So from this faith, God's people are given power and strength. In other words, this type of faith is the basis upon which the Christian life is built. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, often called the Hall of Faith, it lists various heroes of the Bible and the great works in which they were involved. All of them did so by faith. 
And so the reformed idea of sola fide rests securely on the certainty of human weakness and God's ever exceeding ability, strength, and power. Assurance, as, as the author says, assurance and conviction. So assurance is derived not from human attempts, but rather from sovereign God who has miraculously raised his people from death to life. So those apart from Christ do not and cannot possess his gift of faith. There's no middle ground where someone has some, some, some of God's gift of faith, but not all of it. So when God grants faith, opening the eyes of those who were, who were once blind, all spiritual gifts and blessings of salvation are imparted to that person. A priest cannot grant this faith. Martin Luther understood that, and that's why priesthood of the believer was such a big deal to him. Self-will cannot grant this faith. You cannot be good enough, and, and the church herself cannot grant this faith. Only God alone and faith alone that he imparts. So God's grace alone is the, de- is the destination, and his gift of faith is the vehicle by which believers arrive at that grace. So those born-again Christians need to rest assured of God's work in their lives because faith is equal to assurance, but it's also equal to conviction. Some translations use the term evidence instead. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. So someone's conviction or evidence is placed is in place when God imparts new life to people who were once radically depraved. So scripture teaches that Christians are to walk by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians five, seven. And that's likely why the author of Hebrews discusses faith as evidence of things not seen. Faith imparted by God himself is given to people passively, not actively. In other words, people are not pursuing this. God passive gives it to them while they are passive, and it allows Christians to hold a faith in a God they cannot see, but whose evidence resounds in their own lives. So this evidence then is experienced without logical explanation. Faith is not only assurance, but conviction of the Holy Spirit. When God cannot be explained or understood, those who are, who are redeemed trust him anyway, because God has imparted his gift of faith to them. But both aspects... Both the aspect of assurance and of conviction or evidence face a trajectory toward God's passive work in his people. God actively works. This is not to say that God is passive. He is active, but his people are passive in this type of faith. So prior to speaking of salvation by grace through faith, Paul refers to humanity as dead in trespasses in Ephesians 2.1. Someone who is dead has no ability whatsoever to revive themselves. Revival requires supernatural awakening, namely God's gift of faith. And so those who are dead in trespasses play no part in this type of faith, in this salvific faith. We are passive in this work. It's a work of salvation. This is nothing that we do at all. And to say that we are saved because we accept Christ is to say that we are saved because we did something. We did nothing. We were passive. God opened our eyes miraculously. And so Christians are passive in the work of salvation. God, on the contrary, and hear me, Christians are passive, but still responsible. Yes, 
remember, compatible. God's sovereignty, human, uh, human responsibility. So we're passive in this work of salvation, but God is active and accomplishes what he desires to do. So while one type of faith views humans as the subject, this type of faith views God as the subject, the one working. Remember Jesus talking to the Pharisees says, you have little faith. They were the subject in this type of faith. God is the subject. He's the one working. And certainly God is the object of our faith, but he's also the subject of salvific faith because he alone imparts this type of faith to his people. So this is faith alone. Faith alone in God. Faith alone, not in self, but only in God. And faith alone that comes from God. So faith is the conduit through which comes salvation. Sola fide exemplifies the compatibility between God's sovereignty and human humanity's responsibility in soteriological theology. So faith has been discussed here as the vehicle by which Christians receive God's grace. Human responsibility does not in any way negate God's complete sovereignty. While God alone can awaken his people to saving faith in him, the church is also given the responsibility to employ faith in his provision and guidance on a on a perpetual basis. We need to have faith in God, even in the small things, and that is our responsibility. But God's grace alone is what saves Christians. Faith in God alone, nevertheless, is the conduit through which God's people arrive at that saving grace. Upon Christ's miraculous regeneration of the human heart, believers possess a faith in God that won't fade. It will never go away. But faith in God for the daily workings of life needs to be cultivated. Two types of faith. One, a faith of God's gift. One, a faith of human responsibility. Jesus, for Jesus to criticize the Pharisees as those who have small or little faith, the converse needs to be assumed, that, that a faith of large quantity and quality is possible and is to what all believers are called. We are called to a great faith, not a small faith. And so when reading Hebrews 11, it becomes clear how vital faith is to believers. Because it was by faith that the great figures of Scripture accomplished the task that God called them to. Sola fide does not equate to faith plus anything else. And a, for example, a priest's blessing or money or external factors, whatever it may be. Sola fide proclaims the gospel through the lens of faith. And it's through faith alone that God's people arrive at his grace. This is only possible by God's miraculous awakening of the human heart. Faith in anything else but God will not suffice. Love alone will not suffice. Self-righteousness alone will not suffice. Only faith alone is adequate to bring God's people to salvation. It's a gift from God and yet a responsibility to which all humans are beckoned and called. And so as the reformers did, we need to, uh, as Christians from all walks of life and all traditions, we need to know and understand faith alone, sola fide. Thanks for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.